Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. There's probably a hundred different reasons in this room of why you are here today. I don't know why you specifically are here. Do you ever think about that on a Sunday morning when you're getting ready and uh, you're getting your family ready and you're rushing out the house and slipping on the ice and trying to get here in time, uh, avoiding traffic or whatever that looks like for your family or uh, Patrick um, got locked out of his house this morning. I don't know what he was thinking about, about why he's going to come to church this morning. But you think about that. Why are you here this morning? I'm sure in this room there's a hundred different reasons, but it's something to think about. Are you here because um, because you're hoping to gain in your faith and in your knowledge of who God is? Are you here because you wanted to drag your family here so that they could grow in their faith and their knowledge of who God is? Uh, Are you here because you're a Christian and that's what Christians do on Sunday mornings is they come to church? Is that why you're here? You're at no real reason other than that other than just that's what Christians do on a Sunday morning. They they come to church. Um, Are you here because your community is here. Your friends and your family's here. This is where your people are, and so you come here on a Sunday morning to get to see them. Uh, maybe you're here just because the coffee tastes good. I don't know. A hundred different reasons. We have good coffee. I like the coffee that we serve on Sunday mornings. It tastes good. Maybe that's a reason to be here. Or maybe you're here because you really like the worship that Chris leads. Uh, or that we lead as a church at, at NLCC. You just really like to worship, and worship is a way that you connect with God, so you show up specifically for the worship, and you end up getting a message uh, while you're here anyways. I'm guessing there's probably at least one person here who doesn't want to be here, right? Someone dragged you here, or maybe you're just asking yourself why you're here. I don't know why you're here. I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you why North Liberty Church of Christ is here. That's what I can do. We're here to help people to experience God and have their lives transformed by them. It's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We're here to help people experience the transformational power of God in their lives. It's why this church exists. Everything that we do as a church comes from that. It's why we've done our best to make it impossible for you to interact with anything with NLCC and not see those four words, right? If, when you walk in these front doors out here, you're gonna see right on this wall, experiencing God transforming lives. If you go onto our website, it's right there at the top of the page. Our YouTube channel, right at the top of the page. If you open our app, it's right at the top of the page. Everything that you do with NLCC, you're gonna see those four words because everything that NLCC does comes from those four words. It's the vision of this church. It's the reason why we're here, experiencing God and transforming lives. So I don't know why you're here, but my goal is that every time you do come or every time you do watch us online, that you walk away having experienced God in a way that's gonna lead 
to life transformation. But here's the reality. There's only so much that we can do. There's only so much that I can do to make that happen. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we do as a church, no matter how good of a sermon you hear here on a Sunday morning, no matter how good of worship Chris leads, no matter how great the Kids Connection teachers and the leaders are, no matter how great the coffee tastes, no matter how firm the handshake is at the front door, no matter how clean our bathrooms are, nothing uh, can really help you to experience God and transform lives unless at a certain point it requires you to take action. Experiencing God and having your life transformed by him is going to require you to take some kind of action. And that's where our core values come into play. It's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, our core values. These are the things that NLCC believes are the five essential ways for you to take action and to take ownership of your faith. I think of our core values like a blueprint, like a map. In order to experience God... And to have our life transformed by God, these are the five things that I can do today to start. Our core values, the things that we believe are essential. And so far, we've discussed three of them. We've talked about uh, devote daily. We believe that you will experience God when you devote to God on a daily basis. We've talked about pursuing community. We believe that on Uh, that growth happens best in the context of a community, and if you surround yourself with a community of people to encourage and to support and to guide one another, then we will all grow together. We've talked about guiding biblically. We believe that when you offer and when you receive biblical guidance in all areas of life, then we're acting as the body of Christ. And that brings us to today. It's a topic that sometimes make, makes us uh, squirm in our seats a little bit. It makes us not want to make eye contact with the people who are sitting to our right and to our left. Uh, it, it makes us kind of want to wish that we would have slept in this morning. It makes us want to go see how good that coffee actually tastes or how clean those bathrooms really are. We're talking about our fourth core value at NLCC, and it's this. Live transparently. It comes from James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Confession is a command that is given to us throughout Scripture And yet it's really hard and sometimes rarely followed by Christians because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel embarrassed and shameful. Now, let me be clear on this. It is not my goal for you to feel shame today. That is not the purpose of this. I don't want you to feel embarrassment today. James says that when we live transparently, it leads to healing. And that's where we want to be. Through living transparently, we want to experience the transformational healing of God in our lives. And that's where we're headed this morning. Before we get too far into this specific topic, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say a word of prayer over this uh, so we can start the conversation. God, you know us like no other. You, you knew us in, in our mother's womb. You knew us before we walked in the doors this morning. And more than that, God, you know what we carry with us. You know what weighs us down, and you know our brokenness. 
So God, this morning, we pray for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I got into my car to leave my house, and I turned the key, and my car took just a split second longer than it normally does to, for the engine to roll over and for the car to start. It wasn't a huge deal, but I noticed it, right? And then the next day, I got in my car, and the same thing happened. I turned the key, and it took just a half second longer than it, than it normally does, even a little bit longer than it did the day before. And I knew what the problem was. The problem is the battery. At a certain point, batteries in cars, they start getting old, and the cold weather certainly wasn't helping, but I could just tell when, when your battery's starting to get old and die, then your car it struggles to get enough juice to actually get the engine going when you turn the key. And over the course of the next six, seven, eight days, um, I, every time I got in the car, it got just a little bit worse and a little bit worse until the point where I would turn the key, and I, I, well, I'd get in the car and I'd be sure that this was going to be the time that my car wasn't going to start. You know, I would turn the key and it would roll over so slowly that I was like, ah, that's it, it's done. But then it would finally start again. And I was happy because I could get where I was trying to go. Whether or not I could get home or not, that would have been a different question. And so I did a couple things to try and make sure that my car was going to start when I needed it to. The first thing I did is I, I bought a, a thing that you can plug into the wall so you can charge the battery of your car um, overnight. And that way, when I woke up in the morning and I went to go start my car, I knew that it would have enough juice to start because it was fully charged uh, because I had been plugged into the wall. I also made sure I threw jumper cables in my car, which you should always have those in your car, because if my car did not start while I was out somewhere, then at least I had some way to get it started again if someone would be able to help me. So there are jumper cables in my car. And, and lastly, if I, was like, if I was doing a really short drive, maybe from the, the church to, to, or from my house to the church, something that's only a few minutes long of a drive, then I would sometimes let the car run for an extra minute or two when I got to my destination, uh, just to try and, and juice that battery up just a little bit more. And I did all of these things, but still, every time I got in the car, it just was barely there. And so finally, I had to, there's only one way to fix it. And it's not really that big of a deal. I just, I was trying to avoid it as long as I could. And it only took about a week for me to realize that there's something I've got to do. I've got to go get a new battery. I've got to take my car in. They're going to take the old battery out. They're going to put a new battery in. It's a simple fix as that. We did that, my car starts perfectly, and I've had no problems ever since. But that's just something you have to do with machines sometimes. You have to take out old parts and replace them with new parts in order to keep the, the machine running the way that it's supposed to run. It happens with just about any machine that exists. You're going to have to do that in order to keep it running, my car included. And what I find really interesting and really, really cool is that the human body doesn't always need that. The human body has this incredible ability to heal itself. If I break my arm, to a certain extent, I can set my arm, I can stick it in a sling, and a few weeks later, it's not broken anymore. It heals itself. If you get a cut on your skin, I looked it up this week because I'm fascinated by it. If you get a cut on your skin, your body heals itself. First, it sends in a bunch of, of white blood cells and antibodies. And it cleans the area. It cleans out all of the bacteria, all of the germs, and makes sure that the area is okay 
to be healing. And then those leave, and some proteins and some other cells that I'm not actually going to try to pronounce today, they come in, and they start doing the actual healing process, right? They fix the skin cells, and they take out the broken blood vessel, and they replace it with a new blood vessel, and then they leave. And then some more proteins come in, and they make sure that everything was repaired correctly, and, and they add scarring to add the durability. But at the, after all of this happens, you're healed. You might have a little bit of scar left, but you're healed. And all that happens while you're asleep. You have no idea that this is going on, but your body is hard at work healing itself. Now, this might seem like pointless information. Of the hundred reasons why you may have decided to show up to church this morning, I'm guessing a science lesson wasn't one of them. But here's why I think this is important. Christians, we are called the body of Christ. The church is not a machine. It's, it's living, it's active, and it's healing and supporting one another. And when a part of the body is broken, the rest of the body comes in to heal. Every person in the body of Christ has a responsibility to bring healing. We don't replace parts here. We repair. We heal. And the key verse for this core value James is showing us how to heal something that is broken. Let's look at that verse again, James 5:16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. But look where the healing actually comes from here. It says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. James says, that in the context of sin and confession, your prayers can bring healing to me and that my prayers can bring healing to you. There's another example of this uh, in the Bible where, where Jesus brings healing to somebody who, who didn't ask for it based on the faith of somebody else. Luke records a story where Jesus was preaching in a packed house and these guys come in uh, and they bring their friend to to Jesus for healing. It's Luke chapter five, starting in verse 18. And then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before Jesus. But since they couldn't find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Now here's the important part. Seeing their faith he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw the faith of the friends and he offered forgiveness to the paralyzed man. And here's the thing, I don't think the friends were even there with the faith that Jesus could forgive sins. Because based on the reaction of the entire crowd afterwards, everyone was mad that he forgave sins. They would have been happy if he just healed the guy. They were there with the faith that Jesus could, could help their friend walk again. But based on the faith of the friends, Jesus decided to forgive the sins of a man who never even asked for it. The bottom line of this is that your faith, your, your righteousness, your prayers, they bring healing to me. And my faith and my prayers, they bring healing to you. That's what the body does. And don't miss this, because if the body isn't healing itself, then we try to find healing in other places. 
We, we search for healing in places that can never actually bring it. And in fact, it, it usually ends up just leading to more brokenness. Some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Being part of a Christian community, being a part of the body of Christ, it's a gift. It's a privilege that we have to receive healing from one another. We don't have to turn to other things for healing. We don't have to to turn to anything else. We turn to our community, and we turn to Jesus, and that's where we find healing. Healing is what we want. Healing is the result. It's the end goal. It's where we want to be. But James says that in order for us to find healing, there's actually a first step, to live transparently, specifically confession. One of Jesus' disciples, John, he also writes about the importance of confession. In 1 John chapter 1, John helps us to understand the importance by talking about what it looks like to live in the dark versus what it looks like to walk in the light. Uh, Starting in verse 5 in 1 John 1, here's what he says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in him. God is light. And light is good. In fact, light is, is probably the universal symbol for good, right? When somebody, a lot of times you'll hear this, when someone's like dying or passing away, they'll say, I'm moving towards the light. Because they're leaving the pains of this world behind and moving into the light, right? We, we talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel represents dark. And the light represents where we want to be. It's comfort. Dark is scary. Light is good. It's the universal symbol. Everyone knows what you say when you, what you mean when you say, I'm the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the end of my problems, the end of this discomfort, the end of the darkness. I want to be in the light. I'm a big um, Star Wars nerd, right? And in Star Wars, you've got the dark side and you've got the light side, and it's no secret which one the good guys are. Everyone understands. Even if you don't, underst- like, if you don't speak the language and you don't understand a single word in the story, you can pretty much tell who the good guys and the bad guys are because there's a dark side and a light side. Light is good. Light is comfortable. Light is healing. Light is where we want to be. The dark makes us uncomfortable. I know a lot of people who are afraid of the dark. I don't know anyone who's afraid of a well-lit room, right? The dark makes us uncomfortable. It makes us paranoid. It makes us scared. Maybe that's why when we've got a sin deep down, it makes us feel shame. It makes us feel guilt. It makes us feel uncomfortable. It's unsettling because we're living in the dark. 1 John Uh, He goes on in in, in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, then we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. Notice in this next verse how John describes light. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, then we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What's John say it looks like to walk in the light? fellowship with one another, and being free from all sin. And I think that when John wrote this, he is hoping that the reader is going to get to this point and start asking, how do I get that? How do I walk in the light? How do I get this this fellowship with one another? How do I leave the darkness behind? I think he's hoping that the reader is going, I want that, tell me how. And so he answers in the next verse, verse 9, if we confess our sins. 
then he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to try to visualize this passage a little bit. Notice I've got these lamps behind me. They're not just there for decoration. We're, we're going to use them to try to demonstrate this dark and light. And I want you to really try to feel the darkness and the light and the difference on the stage and the difference in you when we talk about the differences here. The Bible calls it walking in the darkness. It's when we let sin find a home in us. We let it be a part of us. We, we hide it from others. We hide it from God. We, we try to hide it from ourselves. We let it lead us away from the comfort of the light, and it tricks us. It tricks us into thinking that we're actually more comfortable in the dark. It tricks us into thinking that we're more comfortable hiding and pretending. And when we pretend to be someone that we aren't, we're hiding behind a false identity that we want others to see so that they don't see our sin. And when we do that, it causes separation. First, it causes separation from God. I think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And they had one command from God, not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they broke that, they sinned, they ate the fruit, and then they hid from God. They couldn't face God after what they had done, and so they hid. And they were tricked by Satan. They were tricked not just into eating the fruit, but they were tricked into believing that it was better to be alone in the dark than to walk with God in the light. And so they hid. And it sounds ridiculous when you put it that way, but honestly, how many of us have hid from God before? Causes separation. God doesn't love you any less. Let me be clear on that. God didn't love Adam and Eve any less, and he doesn't love you any less, and his opinion of you does not change in the slightest, but we hide anyways. And it causes separation from God. It also causes separation from people. It's really hard to have real relationships when nobody knows the real you. If walking in the light means fellowship with one another, then walking in the dark has got to mean just the opposite, without one another, separation from one another. It means isolation from others. We put up these walls to try and protect ourselves, but we end up with broken and shallow relationships. And it also, it changes how we think about ourselves. It changes how we view ourselves. It makes us believe things about ourselves that aren't true. It, it ruins the value of ourselves. It makes us feel shame. And again, shame is not where we started today, and shame is certainly not where we're going to end today. But that's something that sin does. Hanging on to the sin in our life causes us to change how we view ourselves, how we think about ourselves, how we value ourselves. It tricks us into believing things about ourselves that just aren't true. And this is what the darkness feels like. Separation from God, separation from others, low self-outlook. It's lonely, it's uncomfortable, and it's dark. And the darkness tricks us into thinking that this is where we want to be. It tricks us into thinking that this is where safety is. 
And we believe it. And we don't want to stay here. We don't want to be in the dark. We, we want to be in the light, but the path of the light, it can feel just as scary sometimes. The path of the light, it means living transparently. Do you want to hear a hard truth? The opposite of living transparently is pride. The opposite of confession, and in turn, the enemy of healing, is pride. The thought process of, I can do this on my own, I don't need anyone's help, that's pride. The willingness to let a body, to let a community remain broken and in need of healing, that's pride. And we're not going to let pride stand in our way. But the answer is to live transparently. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live transparently, but sometimes it's messy. Sometimes healing means bruises and scars. It can be painful. It can be a process. Living transparently is hard, and it requires humility and trust, but it's part of living a transformed life. But here's what it looks like. The first step to living transparently is to confess to God. It's where we have to start. There may not be a better person to learn this truth from than from Old Testament author and one of the kings of Israel, David. Uh, he writes in Psalm 32, uh, starting in verse 2, he says, How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in a summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave my sin and my guilt. No matter what our sin is, no matter who we've wronged or who we have sinned against, every sin is firstly against God. David uh, did not live a sin-free life. David had a lot of sin in his life, actually. In one situation, he, he slept with a married woman, and then he had her husband killed in order to cover up the affair. And when he was feeling the guilt of this, he cries out to God in Psalm 51.4, and he says, Against you, God, and you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. And I read that, and I'm like, well, you, you also sinned against Bathsheba, and you certainly sinned against her husband. Why are you saying you alone? Clearly, David's sin had many other victims, but David knew that his first sin was against God, and he needed to be made right with God. You might be asking, why, why do we have to do this? I mean, one week we'll come to church and we'll talk about how you're forgiven, you're set free, you're not condemned, that Jesus has paid for your sin on the cross and that the sin is no longer part of you and you are entirely set free. And then the next week you show up and you're told that you have to confess your sins to God in order to find healing. Which one is it? Those are, are opposites. We don't confess as a way to earn forgiveness. Jesus earned our forgiveness for us. Jesus did that on the cross. We, we can't earn that forgiveness back, and confession is not going to get us closer to earning forgiveness. Confession is when we say, I know that I've messed up. 
I know that I have sinned and I know that my sin has eternal consequences. But I also know that Jesus is enough. The act of confession, it doesn't grant us forgiveness. Jesus did that on the cross. Confession is handing over our sins and saying, I know I've sinned and I know you are enough. And it's accepting that forgiveness from Jesus. The first step to living transparently is to confess to God. The second step to living transparently is to confess to others. This is where it gets uncomfortable for a lot of us. Because some of us are really comfortable going into an empty room and locking the door and praying silently in our head and giving our sins over to God and asking him to forgive us of our sins. But telling those to another person, that's where a lot of us are going to draw the line. But it's necessary. The verse in James, it couldn't be more clear. It says, confess your sins to one another. Now, don't start sweating too much. I'm not going to ask you to come stand at a microphone and, and, and confess your sins to the church. I'm not going to ask you to post anything on Facebook. I'm not even going to ask you to turn to the people on your right and your left and talk to them. I, I don't think, I'm not going to do that today, and I, I don't think that's an appropriate way to handle this verse in the first place. I certainly don't. Here's what I think it should look like. If you sin against a person, then you confess to that person confess to that person and seek forgiveness. If you hurt another person, you confess to that person or the people that it, can, it affected. If it affected one person, confess to that one person. If it affected a group of people, you confess to that group of people. You need this for your healing. But also, they need this for their healing. Confess. If you said something to or about another person, you need to confess and seek forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. Secondly, you need to confess to the people who are going to pray for you. That's the second part of what James says here. Confess to one another and then pray for one another. If you need healing, then talk to the people who are going to bring you healing. Maybe it's your community group. Maybe it's a really close group of friends. It could be your family. Confess to someone who's actually going to pray for you and your healing. Healing is our goal. Confess to someone who's going to pray for you and your healing. And lastly, for, uh, for sensitive sins, sexual sins, addiction, those things don't need to be everybody's business but they should be somebody's business. There should be at least one person, one qualified person in your life who really knows you. Someone you have a close and a deep and an authentic relationship with. Maybe it's a brother or a sister in Christ. Maybe your community group leader. Take that to, to a pastor or an elder. All of our pastors and elders today, we're wearing these blue lanyards so you can find us. If you want to take that to somebody, invite us to pray for your healing and to walk with you. I promise we will not shame you and we will not condemn you. But if the Holy Spirit has put a conviction on you today, then there's only one way to let that go. You confess to God and you confess to others. Then you embrace healing.
embrace a healing that comes only from God. Embrace light, embrace forgiveness, embrace transformation. The old is gone and the new has come. Living transparently can be really scary, but it's, it's a gift. It's a blessing. Being part of a Christian community, being part of the body of Christ means that we're surrounded by other people who are willing to be a part of our healing. I want to invite, I want to invite everyone who's listening to start living transparently and to embrace healing together. We all need this. Every one of us. And I don't want you to hear this as a challenge that you have to overcome. And I don't want you to hear this as a checkbox that you have to mark off. I want you to hear this as an invitation to walk in the light, out of the darkness, out of the tunnel, walk in the light, fellowship with one another, and to experience the real transformational healing of God that comes only through being transparent with one another. Be be transparent with God, be transparent with others, and embrace healing. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.